Hey listeners, Tim Winkler here, your host of The Pair Program. We've got exciting news, introducing our latest partner series, Beyond the Program. In these special episodes, we're passing the mic to some of our savvy former guests who are returning as guest hosts. Get ready for unfiltered conversations, exclusive insights, and unexpected twists as our alumni pair up with their chosen guest. Each guest host is a trailblazing expert in a unique technical field. Think data, product management, and engineering, all with a keen focus on startups and career growth. Look out for these bonus episodes dropping every other week, bridging the gaps between our traditional pair program episodes. So buckle up and get ready to venture beyond the program. Enjoy. Welcome to Frontiers, exploring the world of data. Frontiers dives into how people are using their data science minds to shape organizations and change the landscape outside of big tech. In each episode, we explore the far-reaching corners of the world of data. My name is Jasmine, and I'm your host for this series. I myself am passionate about empowering people to make data-driven decisions, and I'm always amazed at how others do it every day. Today, we are exploring the, general, the planes of electric power, <laughs> how data is being leveraged to shake up the energy industry of the future. And that leads us to introducing our very special guest today, Emma Conet. Emma is the co-founder and CTO of Tierra Climate, a startup that's leveraging the power of emissions data to improve battery economics and make the power grid greener and faster. I think a lot of us would be really surprised to learn about all the serious work that goes into providing us not just the electricity we consume every day, but how people like Emma are reimagining how we harness a commodity that we've had for over 100 years. Before co-founding Tierra Climate, Emma spent a few years at City and then dove into the electric power industry at Key Capture Energy. And a common thread throughout her career has been her use of data to reimagine things and do things better. So thank you so much for being here today, Emma. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. Thanks, Jasmine. Really happy to be here. So as we start, uh, we will start with our icebreaker question, per usual. So the icebreaker question today related to the energy industry is, if you were to invent a new type of power source, what would you use or base it on and why? So I like to start so that I don't have a tough act to follow. Uh, so my energy source, if I can create a new one, would be dream energy. So <laughs> bear with me here, dream energy. So if you can generate energy while you dream, like when you're in a deep sleep, and then you have the ability to save it, and then you can use it on days when you don't have enough sleep the day before, you could use it then and like tap into that as a more like natural source of energy instead of like taking stimulants or like, you know, caffeine and whatnot. So it's like your own like personalized dream energy pill. And so like there's the sta- the saying of, you know, you can't just recover from a bad night's sleep by just sleeping more the next day necessarily. Like, you know, it's, it's not that easy. It's not a tit for tat sort of situation. So I imagine that this dream energy source would be something a little bit more natural to help ease you into the days after a bad a bad uh, a bad night's sleep so that's my energy source emma love to hear yours I, <laughs> I love it i think mine is not nearly as creative unfortunately <laughs> but 
Um, I love that. Yeah. So for me, it's probably, I mean, I can't claim, like certainly did not invent this, but I've always been uh, fascinated by nuclear energy. And, you know, historically we've had nuclear fission, but nuclear fusion is obviously what happens in stars and is kind of like what powers the universe. And like, um, I've always thought of like every energy source originating from nuclear energy, nuclear fusion, uh, because we get, uh, you know, sunshine from, from the sun and it comes down and it, um, grows plants. And then those plants got converted into, uh, fossil fuels after, you know, thousands of years of compression in the earth. And then we, we release that energy when we burn them. So even even fossil fuels come from the sun. And then obviously solar energy, wind comes from the sun, moving gas particles in our atmosphere. Um, and so I think that everyone, like the ground truth of energy is fusion. And um, I think we've, we've sustained a fusion reaction, uh, I think for like 17 minutes uh, on earth. But, um, you know, it's kind of like the the key to unlocking, I think, the carbon-free um, future. And if we can figure that out, it's going to be pretty major. When we chatted a little bit earlier about this before the, this recording, um, you said that this was like an area or you've thought about this question before, or like maybe <laughs> yeah. you've thought about this topic before. <laughs> How long has this? Like, can you give a little bit more context there? Is it yeah. like, you know, you know this, this, this question in particular? Yeah, I mean, probably ever since I was in like second grade, my dad has been telling me about how nuclear fusion is going to save the world. So I've been, he, he, he had encouraged me to be an engineer so that I could go figure it out. Um, ended up not being an engineer. I studied mathematics and chemistry in undergrad, um, but ended up in the energy industry. And uh, I think where I found myself is squarely in like implementation of technologies that do exist uh, rather than working on technologies that might exist in a lab. But I think that things kind of come full circle because it's always been part of my life is thinking about energy and how we get energy. I think it's like, I, I mean, I'm very passionate about energy. I think it's like probably one of the most important things we can think of as um, like solving a lot of the world's problems is with is with clean, abundant, and reliable energy. So it's always been something I've thought about. Yeah, you you're segueing us right into our like main uh, the main part of our episode here, and just just chatting about you know the electric power industry, and first of all, like learning about it. Um, I think a, a lot of people don't really know what it entails and like the different the things that people do in this space. Um, it cover the energy industry at large. I think covers a lot of ground, and so I was just wondering if for this for our conversation today, if you could just first like paint a picture of this industry as you know it. You know your your I guess the lens and your your piece of the industry, and then to talk us through. And you spoke a little bit to it, um, but maybe you can go into it more, like how you got into you know where you are now with Tierra Climate. Sure. Yeah, so en energy industry is like a super broad term. And I live in Houston, Texas. And when you say energy in Houston, most people think oil and gas. And um, it's, you know, it's been the fossil fuels reigning supreme for the past century or two. Um, and, you know, it's really improved the quality of life of a lot of people on the planet. And so um, that's the traditional idea of energy. But I think, you know, Electricity has been around for a very long time as well and has historically been generated by fossil fuels as well. But in the last 
you know, 30 to 40 years, we're seeing a transition happen and we're starting to see electricity being produced by other sources of electricity generation. And that um, includes wind power, solar power, geothermal power, um, hydroelectric power, uh, and nuclear power, like we talked about earlier. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think we're we're probably entering into an age of what I would say is going to be the biggest energy transition of our lifetime. Um, it's going to be substantial. I mean, we're, we're looking at replacing basically all fossil fuel generators on the electrical grid with some other form of dispatchable generation. And when I say dispatchable generation, I mean generation that you can turn on and off um, that doesn't rely on some weather uh, phenomenon like the sun shining or the wind blowing. And we, um, it's, it'll be the combination of like what we would consider clean dispatchable resources. In many cases, what people um, think of as this traditionally as like a battery, um, but there's lots of forms of energy storage and uh, renewable energy that'll kind of make up the grid of the future. And that's going to become even more important as we start to electrify other things in the world, like transportation. Um, and it's going to become important when we start to have problems with water scarcity because we'll need electricity to desalinate if we have water shortages in places um, you know, where we, we can't get enough clean water. So ultimately, everything, everything to me kind of boils into this like clean energy world that has to be powered by like a reliable, uh, sustainable, clean electric grid. And um, that's always been my passion. I to answer the second part of your question of how, like, how did I get into this? Um, I've cared about climate change since I was a young child. Um, I did my seventh grade science project on the greenhouse effect. And I always knew that it was like a, I mean, even then it was, I guess, still kind of controversial that it was, you know, caused by humans and um, going to cause a lot of problems in the world. And now I think it's much more accepted. Um, but I, even from back then, I was like, you know, this seems like a big problem we should probably be working on. Um, and then I, I studied chemistry and math, as I mentioned, and I ended up getting my first job on a commodities trading floor. And I really gravitated towards power as a commodity, you know, elect electrons flowing through transmission lines how they're generated, um, fascinating math problem. Um, and once I was there, I started to see this transition happening. You know, it was, it was like 2016 to 2020, and there was a lot of wind and solar getting built. And I was like, hmm, we're going to have to store this energy somehow. And that's how I landed at an energy storage developer and owner operator. And then from there, got super interested in like problem space of how we dispatch batteries and like really complex um, you know, dynamics of, of the power grid with respect to like energy uh, duration limited energy sources, and then started my own company and, and left my left my job in April of this year and started Tierra Climate and Tierra Climate was really born out of the um, to solve two problems. Uh, one is we need to operate energy storage assets in a way that decarbonizes the grid quickly, and two we need them to make enough money to justify the trillions probably trillion dollars worth of investment that we need to transition the grid to net zero. And Terra Climate is solving both of those problems. Um, and that's and that's why I started this company. You know, <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> that's great. Just starting your own company. No small task. Uh, when you when we talk about the electric grid and like the, you know, the carbon footprint when it comes to electric grid, can you speak to that a little bit more? Like what because I think of the electric grid, you know, if you're not familiar, and I'm very not familiar with the industry, uh, you just think of just the network 
of how we get our electricity um and you know is that like underground is that like i i guess i'm assuming it's all like underground or over like wires or whatnot so can you explain like first of all what the electric grid is and then also you know what is that what does it mean to have a you know um and like have less like of carbon footprint when it comes to the electric grid sure yeah yeah, sometimes I take for granted like the nuance of, you know, <laughs> how power works because it's one of those things like I always compare it to like cell phones. Like I have a cell phone I use every day and I have no idea how it works. Like I have I really don't know the mechanics of like when I call someone like what is actually happening. Uh, but I use it all the time. And I think power is really similar, right? You turn your light on and the light turns on and you know there's electrons flowing, but like, oh, where do they come from? I don't know. If I never if you never had to think about it, I mean, you know, it's probably not something you know a bunch about. So yeah, to answer your question, I think there's four major components of the power grid. Um, there's the generators that are people that are generating electrons from some sort of fuel source. And that could be by spinning a turbine, by, you know, by burning fossil fuels to spin a turbine to, to create a current that flows through a, a line or to like an inverter-based resource that's capturing the energy from the sun or from the wind. And those are, that's the generating fleet. And they're massive massive projects um like you know can power tens of thousands of homes and they're oftentimes far away from where you live um and so then that brings us to the transmission system which moves that power from where the power is being generated and transfers it into the places where people live and use power then you have the distribution system which takes that power from what we, we call them high voltage transmission lines um that's like they're more efficient at carrying like they're basically like the highways. Like if you can think about that as the analogy, it's like the highway for power. And then you have like your little neighborhood streets, um, which is the distribution system. And that steps the power down in voltage and delivers it to what is the last component of the electricity grid, which is the load. And that's anyone who's pulling power um, off the power grid from the distribution system. So that could be my house. That could be uh, an industri industrial facility that's making widgets. Um, it's really any anyone that uses power. And so those are kind of like what makes up the electricity grid. Now, the really interesting thing is that until recently, we haven't really had cost-effective and wide-scale storage. So that means that every time, like this is a commodity that you cannot, I mean, it's electrons flowing down a line, right? It's not like oil that you can put in a barrel or natural gas that you can flow on a pipe. And a lot of people say electrons versus molecules. Like electrons flow on lines and every other form of energy is a, is a molecule-based form of energy that can be stored. And so because we haven't had storage that's been cost effective in wide scale, um, we've built a system where electricity is consumed at the same time that it's produced. So like when you turn your light on, there is a generator running that is producing that power and delivering it to you in that moment. And um, the supply has to meet the demand at every single point in time. And the grid has to balance that at a very, very um, tight band around a frequency band around 60 hertz. That's what the U.S. power grid operates on. And there are a bunch of resources that are ramping up and ramping down and ramping up and ramping down to ensure that we don't violate that 60 hertz constraint and um, don't get too far away out of that frequency band. And so that's really just as a supply and demand matching problem. Um, now you kind of have like energy storage enters the chat and like the game changes a bit because now all of a sudden we can produce energy at a time maybe when we don't need it and we can store it and then we can use it later. Kind of like your, your dream energy. Um, being able to use valuable energy um, later at a later time. So, yeah, so energy storage, you know, um, it's been around, certainly the concept has been around for a while, you know, like people have used pumped hydro as energy storage. They pump water 
up in elevation and then it has potential energy because it's stored up high and then you can flow it through a turbine when you want to release that energy that spins a turbine and creates power. So that's not a new concept at all, but that's very geographically constrained to places where you have water and elevation changes. Um, Lithium-ion batteries, on the other hand, have a really high efficiency rate, meaning that they don't lose a lot of power when they, they go through that process of storing, and they can pretty much be placed anywhere. They're very modular. And so there's been, in the last couple of years, a huge change in how we think about transitioning the power grid with renewable energy because we can all of a sudden start using that really valuable clean energy um, when the sun goes down, and we can use that at 7 p.m., and um and displace fossil fuel generation got it okay so in making the the whole the green aspect is really being able to maximize the utilization of you know these these energy storage you know these batteries in order to make the the energy available on, like on demand yeah that's exactly right it's the classic model what they call they call it energy arbitrage where you're arbitraging the the really it's the price of electricity which correlates to um, generally correlates to the, the carbon content of electricity. Um, and you're buying when prices, you, the, energy, the battery buys when prices are low and then sells when prices are high. And that time shifting, that's how a battery gets paid. And that time shifting has the natural effect of picking excess, you know, just because supply and demand, when we have too much of something, the price falls, right? Um, and we don't, when we don't have enough, the price goes up. And so it, it uses economics uh, and economic signals to shift energy to times when we really need it. And the idea behind using batteries and you know connecting them to a grid that has a lot of renewable energy is that that cheap energy that's oversupplied is coming from a renewable resource. And so you can use that renewable energy at any time of day, and it becomes it becomes dispatchable. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thank you for laying that, laying, laying all that out. I know that's a, you're taking a very complex concept and being able to explain it out. Um, I it makes complete sense when you think about it. The it seems so complex when you're you know talking about it. You're like, all right, things move from one place to the next, and they you know it's all like a big um, ecosystem basically to provide you the energy you need or the electricity you need. But I imagine that there's a lot of analysis behind the scenes a lot of like optimization behind the scenes and i want to pull on that like data analysis sort of like thread that goes on because i think that's an integral part of you know what you're doing so i what where do, first of all what sort of data are you like capturing or are, are you of most interest to you and then second of all like how are you using that and leveraging it to make decisions sure so batteries are much more of what we would call like a digital asset than any other type of um, generator on the grid, meaning that they they can leverage data in a way to improve their operations that that not many other um, generators can or wouldn't even need to. Um, and I say that meaning like a battery is very quick to like respond to a signal. So it can like go from charging to discharging within like a couple of seconds um, or even shorter. And um, it's also duration limited, meaning that the decisions that a battery operator is making depend on what you think is going to happen in the future. So I have, I, like, if price is like $30 now, and I think it's going to be $100 in the future, I would want to charge at $30 and discharge at $100 to make my $70 profit. So buy at $30, sell at $100, move the power across those two time intervals and get that, um, get paid. But 
if it's $30 now, and I think it's going to be $0 in the future, I don't want to buy, I actually want to sell. And I'm constrained by what my state of charge is on the asset, like how much state of charge being how much um, power, just like your phone, how much power is in the battery that I have to, to be able to discharge. And this is all a big optimization problem that's like moving forward in time constantly. And it, it, we think of a battery operating on what we call opportunity cost, meaning like if I'm not doing something, what, what is the cost of doing something else basically? And how do I optimize across all of the potential things that I can sell both, both across time and across products? Because batteries can sell a lot of different products, which we don't really need to get into. There's a lot of products besides just energy in the power market that like do things that help the grid function. Um, and so it's, it, anyway, it just becomes this big math problem that's really interesting and fun. And the inputs to that are, um, m you know, at the most basic level, power prices and what we think power price is going to be in the future. And power price in and of itself is a whole math problem as a convex optimization mixed integer problem that happens at the level of the grid operator. Um, and it's doing a bunch of crazy stuff at like these massive servers that, that, that tell the grid how to dispatch in the lowest cost way. But what Tierra Climate is doing is saying, hey, look, we want to optimize the battery, not only to, to do the most optimal dispatch schedule with respect to price, but also we want to do the most, the most optimal schedule with respect to emissions. And that is, um, that's not something any real other generator can do, right? Like wind and solar, they, they generate when they generate. They don't have control over when they're generating. They generate when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining. A natural gas generator is going to have emissions because they have to burn gas to create power. And so they don't, they can't optimize to emissions. They just produce emissions, but a battery can optimize to emissions by buying power that has low carbon content and then selling power back to the grid when the carbon content of the grid is high. And this is kind of where it's like a little harder to understand and like think about it's kind of esoteric, but what you're really doing is you're displacing a generator that would have otherwise been burning fuel. And so what we're really trying to do with data is say, hey, we can actually estimate what we think the emissions are going to be on the grid in addition to the price. And they're not perfectly correlated one-to-one. -one, and it really depends on location um, and, and fundamental aspects of like the physical transmission system and the, the wires, you know, connecting all the generators to the load. Um, and so it's really, it boils down to like a really complicated forecasting problem that then feeds an optimization um, engine. And so there's a lot of data. There's like, I mean, batteries spin off a ton of data and they ingest a ton of data and they do really cool, complex things. And that's what Tierra Climate is working on. And we're actually the, we're really the first optimization engine that's um, going to be optimizing to carbon emissions in addition to price. And the way that we're able to accomplish that is by partnering batteries with um, corporate entities that want to purchase carbon offsets to claim those offsets as um, against their own emissions. And it's really, really critical to note that like corporates have done, played such a big role in getting energy infrastructure built in our country. I don't think people necessarily realize like how much we owe to like the big tech companies that are building wind farms. Like they're building wind farms, they're building solar farms, I'm not physically building them, but they're, they're enabling them financially by investing basically. And, um, we're essentially standing up that same mechanism to support energy storage um, through this contract that allows batteries to operate in a way that pulls carbon off the grid. And the corporates are willing to pay batteries to do that. 
these optimization models or you know these methodologies seem very can, like big and complex like they're really big models where but of course like these models have to you know you need a lot of data to feed that every industry when it comes to you know the data that they have available the data the data that they use every day it's a little bit different in terms of how easy it is to access where they're getting it from how much do they trust it what does that data look like for you in terms of you know how easy is it to pull where are you pulling it from uh, does it give you the full picture what are like some of the constraints or limitations or biases to the data that you get sure yeah, I'm going to answer this with a little bit of a longer history of power. I hope you'll oblige me. Um, no, this is great. I think it's this so fascinating. Um, in the early 90s, <laughs> actually in the early 90s, literally, um, power markets were deregulated, meaning that they were converted from like vertically integrated monopolies into um, markets where you can have full participation from players like generators and load in a transparent deregulated market. And basically what that means is that like the people, it used to be that utilities owned the generation, transmission lines had the customers and you could see they're starting to have a lot of market power and it was hard to control cost. And so in an effort to reduce costs for ratepayers, and I say ratepayers, I'm like you, me, anyone who pays an electric bill is a ratepayer. Um, in order to reduce costs for ratepayers, they said, let's deregulate this market, make it more competitive. And when they did that, it, unleash like a massive amount of transparent data to the market. So where we get a lot of our data is actually from the grid operator itself. They're called independent system operators or ISOs, sometimes called regional transmission operators, RTOs. Um, and they, they have data sets. I mean, you can, there's public data you can go out and just like pull very granular, very um, niche data pretty much anything, any question you have about power, you can answer through, through like grid data. So that's one aspect. Um, and it's, it, it, you know, I think I could go on a, on a while about the benefits and the, the pros and the cons of power market deregulation. Cause I think there are, you know, both sides uh, of that coin. Um, but you know, for better, or for worse, this is the system that we have and pretty much the system in a lot of places in the world. And, um, and there's a lot of data associated. And the second place we get data from is from the assets themselves. So if I'm like an owner operator of an asset, uh, like a battery asset, like a lithium ion battery specifically, you know, it's made up of little cells um, that are like the size of a VHS tape and they're stacked into bigger modules, which are then, you know, hung into like these big racks and then they go in shipping containers. So it's very like modular. Um, you know, it's basically like, you know, the same battery is in your phone, like it's lithium ion, like they just make it bigger by making many of them exist in one place. And um, they spin off a ton of data. Like every four seconds, you get like voltage, temperature, um, all like any kind of reading you could like get from a sensor on each of those cells and then across all the cells and across time and then across projects. And so you can start to see data like balloons easily into terabytes of project level data. And um, that's another really important feature of how we optimize energy storage because it's not one massive asset it's a bunch of aggregated smaller batteries and there are performance issues across those um and you have to you know there's a lot of engineering that goes into they call it performance engineering that goes into um getting optimal performance of uh, such a digital asset yeah we, the more you talk about it, i'm just like wow this is i could see how it just 
there's just so much to kind of wrestle <laughs> to like wrap your brain around and actually make like sense and make the data like work for you. Uh, when it comes to the 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 electric power industry or just in in your space, how I guess does this amount of data and the I mean obviously presents a lot of opportunities, but are there challenges with the data aspect of um, of your work and being able to you know grab the data, make sense of it, you know the speed at which you're able to make decisions? Are, are there are there challenges that make working with data in your this industry in this field unique? Yeah, I think you know there are certainly industries that use data at a much higher frequency than like the power grid does and like a one that i would think of is like you know high frequency equities trading where you're literally trying to like arb the speed at which like information can travel down a cable <laughs> so there's like there's definitely like people out there doing like way heftier problems than i mean this is still like a lot of data that happens very quickly you generate a lot of data but by no means, like, I mean, there, there are people out there doing, like, quantum computing in certain applications. And I would say, like, the energy world, the world of electric power is not there yet, not even close. Like, um, our, our, we're basically making decisions on a level of, like, five minutes, every five minutes. Um, so, it is, but it is a lot. And I think maybe one of the more interesting things is that, like, these optimization models require, like, compute power. And, you know, a, a, like, a naive, simple model that you could use, like, an open source um, Python package uh, solver to to solve sometimes can't solve a problem in the time constraint that you have, and so you actually have to like level up to a more heavy duty commercial solver that has a more elegant um, way of coming to an optimal solution. And that is a constraint that you could see. I mean, obviously there are people out there solving very very complex optimization problems quickly, and so you throw enough compute power at it, and you can you can get it done. Um, but you could bump up against that constraint. Um, where you're just it's a it's a difficult mixed integer problem and it takes time for a computer to find a solution so i think that's kind of one maybe interesting constraint that specifically relates to battery optimization are you saying you're running these models and updating uh, getting update information every five minutes yes that is so fast i don't <laughs> i thought that was so fast because you're coming I think your background, I think um, you're, I guess you've also been on like the, you've, you've worked at faster speeds or you've gotten information at faster speeds, right? On like a more like every second sort of basis. Is that, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that you could, you're getting information every five minutes, I think is with all the information you have to like gather. I think that's really fast. Um, I think, you know, when you look at other industries, they can go, you know, you'd be, um, you know, depending on your data source and how often it's updated, you can get you know, every day, every month, you know, you'll get like new information. You can like, you know, crunch new numbers, but that that's a really exciting area. I would think that in the energy industry at large, you know, it's, you know, it's such an old industry, obviously. Um, you would think that things go a little slower. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you think that there's just a lot of push for thing you know, to make, to reimagine things and it, it's, it's really uh, the, it's the bar the barrier to entry is low on that front in the in energy in the energy industry yeah i think that the energy industry is 
okay, let me say this. There's a lot of consequences to screwing up in the energy industry. Like if something goes wrong, you can like fry a transmission line that costs a million dollars a mile to build or $5 million a mile to build. And like, that's a huge infrastructure risk. Um, you can cause people to lose power that need it, like hospitals and places that, you know, like I got my COVID vaccine because the hospital lost power during a winter storm in Texas and they had a a freezer full of vaccines that were going to go bad. And this was in like February of 2021. Like that's a real critical problem. Like the power grid failed and like it had real consequences to the hospital that was trying to administer vaccines in a pandemic. So um, I think that because of those consequences, the industry by definition can't move as fast as like the tech world. Um, like the, the speed at which we are seeing like large language models evolve and, and, enter into the market is like breakneck compared to the speed at which you see the electric power industry evolve. Um, and it's probably because like if ChatGPT tells you, you know, the sky is red, like there's no real consequences. You just go, oh yeah, it's not, I guess it's wrong. But if, if the energy industry fails to supply power to like critical infrastructure, then um, people's lives are at stake. So so I think that's that's one answer to the to your question. But the flip side of that is like the power grid has been dispatching the grid on a on a granular level of every five minutes for a long time. Like the 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 actual dispatch happens um, from the independent system operator, or like what we would consider the grid, um, really frequently. And it's and it's actually sending signals to some assets on the order of like sub second with respect to like maintaining frequency, because it's so important that we maintain frequency to keep the grid up and running. So um, it's kind of crazy to me that we built this system that is like, I mean, surely like ahead of its time. Like when we think back to like the bulk power grid and like it's doing stuff and dispatching all these assets and moving power and making sure everyone can, and pull power and transmission lines are protected um, at a five minute granularity. Like that's impressive. Um, but it's just been that way for a while. And it's hard to say, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say, I think that things will evolve the way things are moving in the, in the energy world, as we make this clean energy transition is that you no longer have like plants that have to like burn coal and like get a turbine spinning and like, um, you know, like literally like physically like put fuel into a place where it can like be lit on fire and generate electrons. And you're moving more towards like these inverter-based resources where um, we call them variable renewable energy. So um, they're not intermittent per se, because they don't just like turn on and turn off randomly, but they ramp up and they ramp down according to like weather patterns. And then that combined with these like dispatchable assets that are so digital and so flexible and also have a lot of constraints on them is making the energy mix like a different problem. And I think the way like markets have been set up that has traditionally served the fossil fuel industry for the past hundred years are going to be forced to evolve. The question, I guess, is just how fast does that happen? And at what point do we get like major sweeping market structure changes um, to accommodate these different types of resources? Yeah, well, I definitely want to uh, move into um, chat about you know where you see the future you touched on it just at the end of there um on where you see the future of this industry going but i first want to go back to something you said at the beginning of your answer around um some of these you know situations that happen that are real life consequences of like you know, messing something up or not having the right infrastructure in place or just not having the right policies in place to like deal with things have you experienced or do you have you know 
if you have experiences where you something happens and you're like you know this is why I'm in this industry this like you know I'm doing this in order to prevent this scenario from happening or like are you constantly reminded of why you chose to be in the power electric industry yeah um 2021 February of 2021 was winter storm Yuri in Texas I mean it hit other parts of the country but it hit Texas really bad mm-hmm. um and we lost power in our house for like two and a half days and I think the temperature outside was like 18 degrees which for everyone who doesn't live in a warm place might be like that's not so cold but in Texas that's like an apocalyptic <laughs> event and <laughs> the inside of my house like obviously no power and I have electric heat so uh the inside of my house was like 35 degrees and I was wearing my ski gear and, you know, my poor cat is like, what's going on? Like, he's freezing. And it's just like, okay, yeah, this is a failure. This is a massive failure of infrastructure. And it's it's because of an event caused by climate change. Like, Texas has gotten storms before. And I will say there's an element of, like, man-made devastation. Like, that event was caused by generators not being winterized. And it was kind of like the Swiss cheese problem when you get all the holes line up and then you have a failure. Um, but certainly like climate change is making weather events like that worse and more catastrophic. I live in a place where we get hurricanes regularly, hurricanes, flood, you know, like Hurricane Harvey, I think it's 2016 or 2017. Um, yeah, I mean, I had friends with water in their houses up to their roofs. Like these are devastating events and, um, it just points it's like the cyclical problem right like we keep burning fossil fuels to build infrastructure to prevent damage from things that from climate events that are caused by burning fossil fuels that are releasing <laughs> carbon into the air so it's like we need to cut that cycle that vicious cycle down and we need to build infrastructure that is clean and then we also need to build res- you know resilient uh, buildings and homes that can withstand those types of events because like they're not going to not happen anymore i mean we're we're too deep in this like to say that we're not going to get extreme weather events over the next century i think we certainly will um but we we have to stop putting carbon into the atmosphere like we we just have to stop that um and i like i think about a lot like what's the consequence of like turning the ship like too hard in one direction where we like you know put an extreme carbon tax or something that could like you know, destroy the global economy or something. And like, that's not the right answer either. Like it has to be a change over time. Um, but it absolutely has to be a change. And I think those are the types of things that I think about. And I'm like, okay, like what we're doing is really important because I, I want to be able to have power in my house. And I want to, you know, like I want our infrastructure to be able to like work properly. And I want other people in the world that don't have access to power to have access to clean, affordable, reliable power, because it is so important for quality of life um and and i think the way we get there is not through burning more fossil fuels i think it's by 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 making clean energy infrastructure more accessible yeah now looking at the future and moving toward you know we're we're trying to make the future you know greener um and you know we have to account for the fact that we we may experience these you know climate change situations and they're just going to get worse over time if we don't you know fix this problem um, now that brings me to the question of looking toward the future. Where do you really see a lot of you know you know places in your industry really taking off, or like where where people that are really data minded that really want to be able to use data to make better decisions, like where 
in this field you see that really growing and in really great need in the next few years? I think energy storage is a big one. I think transmission infrastructure is also a big one. And a lot of these problems are like data engineering physics problems, right? Like not just pure data science. There's, you know, a lot of other things going on. Um, but yeah, I think I think those are kind of two areas where I think we're going to have to see a lot of growth. I mean, I think alternative technology to we're going to run out of lithium. Like that is pretty much for sure. Like if we we cannot build all the world's batteries on lithium, um, that's just going to be a binding constraint. So we need something else. We we need some other type of battery technology. And there's there's other people working on these types of problems. Um, you know, like Forum Energy is is building an iron oxide battery that's very long duration, and iron is very ubiquitous. So um, that could be a solution to the lithium problem. Um, so, you know, I think different types of technology is important. Um, one thing I will say about like the future is like, I have a really hard time imagining what power is going to look like after, like my horizon is kind of like 20 years. Cause like after 20 years, when you start to be like mostly renewable energy and batteries, the breakdown of how people make money under current like constructs, I was kind of alluding to this earlier, but like current market constructs, like no longer makes sense. Because basically, like the way power prices are determined is is effectively based on like the operational cost of generating power, and that usually is a is a derivative of like fuel cost, like gas prices and um, coal prices and stuff. And like once those are no longer like the primary assets on the grid, I'm like I don't really know how that's gonna work. That's gonna be an interesting <laughs> problem. So I think that there's for me it's like hard to imagine something where it's so vastly different than the system we have today. Um. I don't know. I mean, it's going to have to change. I have some maybe hunches that would probably be too too technical to get into now, but um, it's going to be wild. I mean, I, the one thing I just hope for is that we don't slow down. You know, like I, I think there was like a lot of hype about clean energy like before two thousand eight, and then we had a global recession and like some investment dried up, and it just kind of it didn't like halt completely. Obviously, we kept building stuff, but the like whole hype cycle around, you know, startups that are doing like cool energy, solving cool energy problems, like definitely slowed down. And I just hope that we don't have that happen again. You know, it needs to be entrenched enough into like large corporations, into people, like how people invest and spend money um, in their values that we continue to drive this transition. Um, forward, you know, at the pace that at the pace we're going now or faster. And I have a speed question for you as we wrap up here. Do if you were, you know, if there's someone who's not really familiar with the industry that's like, oh, actually everything that, you know, Emma's talking about really, it sounds really interesting. What do you, what advice do you have for people um, who are interested in the energy industry and want to get involved, but, you know, and, but don't know where to start if they're like really into like data? Yeah. Um, there's a podcast called Volts um, that I really like that is is exclusively focused on like energy problems um, and, a, and a lot focused on electricity. Uh, so I think that's a great podcasts are great. I mean, I love I love listening to podcasts. I love being on <laughs> podcasts. I think it's fun to talk about things I'm passionate about. Um, but I think that's honestly the age of podcasts. You can learn so much uh, just from finding people that like love to talk about these types of problems. And then, of course, you know, there's a ton of academic literature out there if you're into more reading. Um, we put a white paper out on our, our problem space 
it's on our website. If people are interested in looking at that, you know, those are white papers are a good way to kind of get bite more bite-sized, less like academic, you know, public, like journal article type information and more like, I don't know, possibly digestible, I guess. Um, so I think that those are really good places to start. And then, you know, I will, I'll plug the My Climate Journey is a Slack community that has a ton of resources. Um, I do think you have to pay to join. It's like a hundred bucks a year. But I have met a lot of cool people that are working on cool problems. And my brother's on there. So I chat with him sometimes on Slack. <laughs> he works at a sustainable aviation fuel company. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think that there's, there's just a lot of resources uh, within the climate community. And, and then that obviously touch on energy and specifically on renewable energy as well. Thank you for that. Um, so I wanted to end our episode with a round of fact or fiction. And I know that it, uh, I want to, you know, wrap this up in a, in a few minutes because I know we're a little pressed for time. So I will, uh, I won't, I won't go through all five of them, I have five of them, but I'll, I'll go through like at least three um, to see if we can get through these. All right. So first question, um, first statement, there are four major renewable energy sources, solar energy, geothermal energy, wind energy, and hydropower. True or false? Fact or fiction? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Biomass is the fifth. It's like the largest one of the renewable um, renewable energy yeah. sources. Biomass. Technically, so technically renewable, but not carbon neutral. Oh, so that's, interesting. That's, yeah, that's okay, interesting. So like half, half, <laughs> half fiction. <laughs> it's yeah. I suppose it is renewable, but I certainly wouldn't want to burn biofuels to supply the electric grid. Okay, fair. All right, second one. Um, let's see. Wind technicians are the tenth fastest growing occupation in the United States. Yeah, that sounds true. Sure. <laughs> It's Am false. I wrong on all they of are, these? <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're the second fastest growing occupation in the U.S. Oh, wow. Second to nurses. Yeah, right? Like, you wouldn't wow, know that. Wow, that's surprising. I would have thought it yeah, went the other way. I know. Wind technicians, you know? Growing industry. Hey, that's awesome. Love to hear it. All right, last one. Um, Morocco holds the world record for most consecutive days using solely renewable energy at 300 days. Morocco. You know, I would guess it's Brazil because I know they have like a super hydroelectric power grid, but I don't know much about Morocco. I'm going to say false. That is correct. It's false. <laughs> okay. It is Costa Rica, which I was oh, like, Costa oh, Rica. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Costa Rica. So cool. there you go. Learn something, learn something new. There are a couple other ones, but I think those ones you would have gotten right based off of just our conversation. <laughs> so I'm okay. like, okay, so well, I'm, I'm one, <laughs> one for three. So, you know, well, not great. I'll give but... you the other two. I'll say you got three for five because I'm, I'm assuming you're going to you get the other ones. Right? Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for being here and uh, allowing, allowing me and all those that are tuning in the opportunity to learn so much more about energy and how people like yourself are using data to make for like a greener future. I really look forward to seeing and following your electrifying journey as you work to surge this industry <laughs> forward. <laughs> I had to like run awesome. that time because I would not have come up with those puns by myself just on the fly. Um, but yeah, I, I, love I, it. I know I learned, 
I learned a lot more about this industry than I did, uh, than I knew before we were chatting. So thank you for breaking all that down for me and, and for those that are listening in. Um, I know that they as well learned something new just from listening to this conversation. Awesome. So, yeah, I Thanks, really Jasmine. Appreciate I really time. appreciate it. I appreciate you inviting me on here. Thanks so much. <laughs> Of course. And lastly, I need to, of course, thank Hatch IT for sponsoring this episode on the PEAR program and allowing me the creative freedom to host the series and chat with super interesting people and be introduced to super interesting people like Emma. Lastly, as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning into this episode and exploring the world of data with us. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Calling all startup technologists. Have you ever dreamed of hosting your own podcast, but don't know where to start? Well, here's your chance to shine. We're thrilled to introduce Beyond the Program, our exclusive mini series, and we want you to be a part of it. As tech leaders and mentors, you'll get the exclusive opportunity to become a guest host right here on the Pair Program podcast. Share your expertise, insights, and stories with our audience of startup-focused technologists. Excited? We knew you would be. To be considered, head over to myhatchpad.com backslash contribute, fill out a brief form, and submit it our way. Let's co-create something amazing together. Don't miss this chance to elevate your voice and expand your personal brand. Visit myhatchpad.com backslash contribute.